A few weeks ago, we looked at uh, the question of how to pray. And really, the answer was pretty simple. Well, we pray communally. Uh, We looked at the Lord's Prayer, and it starts off by saying, Our Father. Our meaning we go to God together. There is time and place to pray on your own. That's good. That's important. But what we're learning in this season is the how we pray is we pray together. We pray for one another, and we allow other people to pray for us. And then the second aspect of the question of how to pray is we pray relationally. We have the gift and the freedom and the invitation to, uh, from God to call him Father. And so we come to God as we are, just like my kids come to me as they are. And sometimes they come and they're hurt and bothered and frustrated and irritated, and that's how they come to me. But after time sitting with them and loving them and encouraging them, they leave different, and that's what God does with us in prayer. We come as we are, relationally as our Father, and we leave different. We, God send us out different because of time with Him. So the how we pray question was good. It's important. But this morning, I want to ask another question that I think is just as important, if not even more important, and the question is simply this. What do we pray? What do we pray? Like, we know how to pray. We pray in community, and we pray relationally, but what should the content of our prayers be? What do we pray? So how is important, but I'd say this uh, question of what we pray is even more important, and this is why. What you are praying for right now is a reflection of what you believe about God. What you are praying for right now or what you're not praying for right now is a reflection of what you believe about God. Another way to think about this is prayers reflect your theology. Prayers reflect your theology. There's a lot of people who are theological. They know a lot of things to say about God. But your prayers is the best reflection of what you really believe, theologically speaking, what you really believe about God. Now, this might not be a brand new thought to you that your prayers reflect what you believe about God. But as I've been sitting with this for the past 26 days in particular, I've been asking myself some really challenging questions. And here's just a sampling of the questions in my journal. What do my prayers reveal to me and those around me about what God is like? What are my prayers, what are my prayers revealing to me about what God is like? This question, if someone who knows God were to listen to me pray, would they be led to believe or trust God for greater things? Could someone who knows God, has a relationship with God, just listen to how Michael Davis prayers, and would they say, I want to believe like that, I want to trust like that? If someone who did not know God, if they were to hear how I was praying, would they be inspired to put their faith in God? Could they just hear a prayer And could they say, you know what, I don't know this God, but if he's anything like that, I'm excited to know him. How about this question? Is how I'm praying, is it even biblical? Are my prayers biblical? Meaning, do my prayers accurately represent who God is and what God is like? Or do my prayers reveal that the God of the Bible is not really the God I'm talking to in prayer? It's actually more of a God that I've kind of made up. It's a God that's convenient to me. It's a God who does what I want God to do. So I've been wrestling with that question. Are my prayers, are they even biblical? And this might sound like a really strange, odd question, and I'm just an odd guy. 
But this is the question that has been challenging me the most. Am I praying like a freak? Am I praying like a freak? I've had, um, you know, people along the way, and they've told me this before. They're like, Michael, you have really nice prayers. <laughs> I know they mean well. Uh, and they're just trying to encourage and, and say something nice. But I don't want to have nice prayers. I don't want to have prayers that are just considered nice. I want people to have walked away from time praying with me and saying, you pray like a freak. Do you honestly believe that God will do all of those things that you ask God to do? I want people to be able to say, your prayers are freaking me out. Are you serious? You are asking God to do that? Do you really believe that God can act and move and reveal and show and provide like that? And I just want my answer to be, yeah, and have story after story of my prayers that I'm praying like a freak um, being answered by God. Now, again, I know that sounds, maybe the language is just weird, but I've really been wrestling with that. Am I the guy that just has nice prayers? Am I the guy that's just walking around and saying, God, would you just be there and would you be with them? Or am I the guy that's saying, God, don't just be there. You are there. Transform that situation. Take a relationship that is dead, if not dying and dead, and revitalize it. Take this situation that seems absolutely hopeless. Take this person who seems so against you, anti you, indifferent towards you, and awaken their heart towards you. This morning... I want to look at three people, and I'm going to do this quickly. My aim is not to do an exhaustive um, look into the lives of these three people, um, but I want to look at three people who I think you and I would deem as uh, they prayed like freaks. Their prayers freaked people out. And as we walk through three different stories, story of Joshua, a story of Elisha, and a story of George, I, I think what you're going to see is that these three individuals, these three men prayed prayers that were accurate with the character of God. And what you and I often deem as prayers that are freaking you out are actually prayers that are pretty normal to God. And so the three men that we're going to look at is Joshua, we're going to look at uh, Elisha, and then we're going to look at a man named George. Uh, before I take a look at Joshua, I just wanted my question for you to be, is what you are praying right now, is it even inspiring you? Is the content of what you are praying, is it even inspiring to you? Because if it's not, it's a good chance you won't be praying. It's a good chance that you won't be going to God, seeking God and asking God in prayer. So, Again, the how we pray, it's important, but I really want you to see this. The what we pray reflects what we believe about God. And the three individuals we're looking at this morning, they had an accurate view and their prayers were consistent with the character of God. And so I want you to be okay this morning to be challenged to say, you know what, my prayers, they don't even inspire me. Because I think prayers that inspire are prayers that reflect who God is and what God is like. This is Joshua. Joshua, he prayed in accordance with the promises of God. Now, some quick context on Joshua. He prayed in accordance with the promises of God. 
Now, his context is there was five Amorite kings who combined their armies to attack and overthrow the people of Gibeah. And so the people of Gibeah came to Joshua and said, uh, we're in a lot of trouble. Uh, your army is not as big as theirs. Now they got five armies that have come combined together. But would you come alongside us as our allies? And so Joshua rallied the troops and said, we will fight for you. We'll fight with you against these five kings and these five armies. And this is what God had to say to Joshua. And this is the promise, Joshua 10. Do not be afraid of them, the Lord said to Joshua, for I have given you victory over them. And I want you to catch this. Not a single one of them, not one of them will be able to stand up to you. So what's the promise? The promise is simply this. Joshua, you're going to win. There's not going to be one person who will be able to stand up against you. That was God's promise to Joshua. I am with you. I am fighting for you. Now, if the promise of God to Joshua was that the people of God would win the battle, that not one person would be left opposing them, then when the day is coming to an end, and the day is almost over, and the promise of God has not been realized yet, meaning the sun is setting, it's getting dark, and there are people from men from these different armies that are now beginning to escape. If you were Joshua, and you knew that the promise of God to you was simply this, not a single one of them will be able to stand up to you, how would you pray? Well, I, I'll give you two options. He could have said, God, it's been a good day. Most of the enemy was defeated. I did all I could. So hopefully those that are getting away under the cover of darkness will allow us to find them another day. I mean, that's not bad. Seems like a legit prayer. It's like, God, we did everything we could, but it looks like a bunch of them are getting away. So I'm not sure what to make of the promise of not a single one of them, but we'll live to fight another day. That could have been one way, but I love that Joshua, who prayed like a freak, this was his prayer. Joshua 10, verse 12. On the day that the Lord gave the Israelites victory over the Amorites, Joshua prayed to the Lord in front of all the people of Israel, and he said, let the sun stand still over Gibeon and let the moon over the valley of Ajalon. Now, let me just read that again, because if you didn't catch what the prayer was, this is probably one of the most unorthodox prayers ever prayed. On the day the Lord gave the Israelites victory over the Amorites, Joshua prayed to the Lord in front of all of the people, meaning everyone's hearing this. And he prayed, let the sun stand still and let the moon stay where it is. Now, unorthodox, outrageous prayers ever prayed. But I see in Joshua, he believes so strongly that God is a God who keeps his word, that God is a promise-keeping God, and he prayed a prayer in accordance with what, not with what he wanted, but with what God had promised. Now, I want to ask you the question, if you were there in the crowd that day, and be honest, and you heard someone pray, God, I pray that the sun would stand still, what would you do? I know for me, I would have probably laughed. And it would have been one of those laughs that would have been like laughing out loud, but I'm like, I'm sorry, I didn't know that actually came out of me. But I would have thought that, are you ridiculous? That is insane. That is crazy. So I would have laughed. 
And then the second thing I probably would have done is I just would have stopped and I, <laughs> I probably would have looked up in curiosity of like, well, what if? What if God actually chose to answer this crazy, unorthodox, outrageous prayer? Well, it doesn't really matter what I would do, and it doesn't matter what you would do, because it matters what God did. And this is how the story goes in Joshua 10. And so the sun stood still, and the moon stayed in the place until the nation of Israel had defeated its enemies. Is this event not recorded in the book of Jashar? The sun stayed in the middle of the sky, and it did not set on a normal day. There has never been a day like this one before or since, and when the Lord answered such a prayer, surely the Lord fought for Israel that day. Now, this is kind of where in me the skeptic and the junior want-to-be scientist starts asking questions like, all right, seriously, what really happened that day? Did the earth really stop spinning on its axis? Did like God just create a really bright light that looked like the sun and it just had the appearance, it was so bright it just kept daylight, so it had the appearance? So these are fair questions, these are, are honest questions, but at the end of the day, I have absolutely no idea. But what I do know is that it said God answered the prayer and the sun stood still. And the promise that God had given to Joshua was fulfilled that day. And what I love about what Joshua did is he prayed in accordance to what God had promised. It wasn't what I wanted. It was, God, you've promised this. You told me that this would happen. And so we see in Joshua, God answered one of the most unorthodox and outrageous prayers ever prayed. Now, here's your question and my question. Should we still pray unorthodox, outrageous prayers like this? And here's my answer. I'm convinced that when we pray prayers in accordance with the promises of God, he's going to answer every day of the week. So what looks like unorthodox, what looks outrageous, if they are consistent with the promises of God, uh, there will be answers. And I wanted to give you a practical, tangible example of what does it really look like to pray prayers that are in accordance with the promises of God. And I didn't take the time to double check if this theologian was right, but there's roughly over 10,000 different promises in Scripture. And if that is even close to how many promises, and I'm guessing there's probably actually more, then I will never run out of things to pray in accordance with the promises of God. But here is one promise, and this is a promise that Jesus gave in the end of Matthew. And he said this, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So the promise of God to you and to me is that we go out seeking to talk about God, talk about Jesus. As we go out seeking to introduce our friends, our neighbors, our husband, our wife, our children, our coworkers, as we go seeking to talk to them about God, about Jesus, who he is and what he has done. The promise of God to you is that there will not be two people present in that conversation. There will actually be three. And I think why many people don't engage their neighbor, friend, coworker, whoever, with talking about Jesus and who he is and what he's done in our life is we think there's just two people present and that just freaks us out. 
Now we get scared, we get nervous. But if you prayed in accordance with the promise of God, that's a three-person conversation taking place. We just choose not to believe the promise of God there. So here's a prayer of what it could sound like. God, I'm going to talk to my friend, neighbor, coworker about you, and I'm going to tell them about you, who you are, and what you've done in my life. And as I do, overwhelm me with your power and presence. Amen. That's it. You've just prayed a prayer that claims the promise of God that as I'm talking about you, you will be with me. So you're not alone. But I think many don't engage because they think there's just two people present. That's just one example. And there would be 9,999 other examples of praying the promises of God. But before I move to Elisha, I wanted just to ask you the question, encourage you to write it down. What prayers are you praying right now that are actually prayers consistent with the promises of God in your life? Because Joshua prayed that the sun would stand still. And it wasn't so he'd see this incredible miracle. It's God, you said, not one. You said we'd have complete victory. Now what possessed him to think that he could pray such a prayer, I don't know. But he did, and it says God answered that prayer. Why? Because he promised. It's consistent with his character, the promises of God. This next man, his name is Elijah. And what I want you to know about him, he prayed in accordance with the mission and glory of God. He prayed in accordance with the mission and the glory of God. And I'm going to go super quick through this story, but your context simply is this. Idol worship was running rampant in Israel. So Elisha, who was a prophet of God, wanted the people of God to know there's no God like my God. And so he came up with this idea. The challenge to the people of Israel was this in 2 Kings. So Ahab, who was the king of Israel, summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. And then Elijah stood in front of them and said, how much longer will you waver hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But people were completely silent. So his heart was, I want the people of God to know that God is God and there is no God like him. And so this is what he came up with. Uh, came up with a bit of a contest in 2 Kings 18. Then call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by setting fire to the wood is true God. So let's have a contest. Let's both make an altar. Your team on that side, me, myself, and I by myself over here. And let's make an altar, and we're going to pray. And whoever's God answers the prayer, well, then that's God. And that sounded reasonable to everyone. And so Elijah said, well, why don't you guys go first? And so they begin. They build their altar, and they're screaming, and they're crying. And I love that, really, Elisha is like the only trash-talking prophet that we see. But he says this in 2 Kings, about new time, Elisha began mocking them. You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed, for surely he is a god. Perhaps maybe he's daydreaming, or maybe he's relieving himself, or maybe he's away on a trip. Or maybe he's asleep and just needs to be awakened. And so they, that really obviously uh, didn't sit well with them. So they start screaming louder. They're cutting themselves. And scripture says that blood's flowing. And then Elisha's finally like, God, guys, it's not working. So now it's my turn. And this is what Elisha does in 2 Kings. And his confidence was so high in the mission and the glory of God, that he prays something 
or does something that just seems unorthodox and outrageous. And he says this in 2 Kings. Then he said, fill four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering uh, and the wood. And they had done this. He said, do the same thing again. And when they were finished, he said, now do it a third time. And so they so he said, and if the water, and the water ran around the altar and even filled the trench. Now, I'm not a genius here, but I know if I want to set fire to wood, the last thing that I would do is probably just pour water all over it numerous times. But he was so confident that God was going to respond to his prayer. There's like, you can pour as much water on this, and I just want you to see what God's going to do. And then the story goes on in 2 Kings. Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and he prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I've done all of this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Now, some people might look at that prayer and be like, well, it's kind of a messed up prayer. God, I'm praying you need to prove yourself and I'm praying that you need to uh, also prove who I am to these people. And what I love is he was not rebuked for how he prayed because the intent and the heart in his prayer was, I want these people to see that you are God. And God answered this prayer in 2 Kings. And when all the people are in 2 Kings 18, 38, immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. Now, if you're watching all of this and you've just seen all of these people cutting and screaming and get nothing, and then you see one man who just prays confidently in God, what do you think your response would be? This was theirs. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and they cried out, the Lord, he's God. Yes, the Lord is God. So, would it be okay for you and I to do something similar? Would it be okay? There was a challenge. There was a contest of sorts. And he was so convinced that what God was concerned about was his mission and his glory, meaning people coming to the point of pro proclaiming there's no God like our God. And so is it, does this mean it's okay for us to set up things such as Elisha did? And here's my answer. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, that might shock you or freak you out, but absolutely. And why I say that is, if you're convinced that God wants the world to know him and that he wants the world, specifically those around you, to glorify him, then it's biblical to pray that God would give you opportunities for that. That's all Elisha did, is God, here's an opportunity for you to show yourself to all of these people that you are God. And what it looks like for you and I is, God, would you create an opportunity for me that I could step into so that people would not be confused that you're God, that you are real, that you listen, that you care, that you love. It is absolutely biblical to pray, God, would you give me opportunities to reveal your name, your character? Now, there are two things here. There are people who pray for opportunities. The Apostle Paul was one of them. He said, pray for us too that God will give us opportunities to speak about the mysterious plan concerning Jesus. So pray that God will give me opportunities to talk about this God-man named Jesus. 
So do that. Pray for opportunities. What's been great is every morning uh, there's a community of us praying, and we're praying specifically for neighbors and friends and coworkers. And every morning I'm hearing stories of people come back. Hey, you remember that situation where we prayed that there would be an opportunity? Well, guess what? There was an opportunity, and they entered into it. But I also wanted to challenge you and encourage you, pray for opportunities, but don't be afraid to step out in faith and create an opportunity. And I'll give you another example of someone who's here in the morning and they're praying and they were just convinced that they wanted all of their classmates, all of the men and women in their grad school program, they just wanted them to know who God is and what God is like and what God has done. And so rather just praying for opportunities to talk, she created an opportunity. And so she sent a letter to all of her classmates in her grad school program and said, this is what I'm doing. This is what my church is doing, and we're in a season of prayer. And I believe that God answers prayer. So if there's anything that I could be praying for you about, please let me know, and I will cover you and cover that in prayer. And it was one of those things, God, I don't know if you're going to use this opportunity, but I'm going to step out in faith, create an opportunity, and just watch what you'll do. And it has been absolutely mind-blowing to hear the stories of how many folks are coming up to her and saying, you know, thanks for that email. And as a matter of fact, I do have something that I would love for you to pray for me about. And it's created new opportunities and new conversations. Elijah, he prayed in accordance with the mission and glory of God. And if you're convinced that what God wants for the men and women around you is that they would know him, then pray for opportunities. Pray that God would give you faith to create opportunities. Is there any opportunities that God has given you right now that you need to step into? Is there any opportunities? And I will promise you that I think the answer to that question is yeah. It's just God, give me eyes to see the opportunities you've already given me. But I also want to challenge you, is there anyone here that would say, you know what? Maybe I need to create an opportunity. Maybe I need to step out in faith a little bit and send a letter, send an email, shoot a text, initiate a conversation. Because if you believe that God wants people who don't know him to know him, those are prayers that you would be praying that God would be answering. Lastly, and this guy, his name is George. And George, he prayed in accordance with the sovereignty of God. And just to be clear, when I say sovereignty, what I mean about sovereignty is a belief that God is in control of all things, all people, all situations, all circumstances, all the time. That's what I mean when I say sovereignty. George prayed in accordance with the sovereignty of God. Now, I mentioned George a few weeks back, and his last name is George Mueller. To me, he's been a hero in the faith because he just inspires. He's a guy that just, we would say he prayed like a freak. But in his journal, he's got over 50,000 recorded answers to prayer. Wouldn't you love that, to look back at the age of 90 if you get there, and to say, you know what? I've got over 50,000 different recorded answers to prayers that I prayed. So George, he prayed in accordance with the sovereignty of God, and I wanted to read to you very quickly a story uh, that was recorded of a situation with George Mueller when he was traveling um, to a destination, and I'm just going to read this. When I first came to America 31 years ago, I crossed the Atlantic with the captain of a steamer who was one of the most devoted men I ever knew. And when we were off the banks of Newfoundland, Newfoundland, he said to me, and this is Mr. Ingalls, a uh, friend, reporting the conversation he had with his captain. 
Mr. Ingalls, the last time, and this is the captain, the last time I crossed here five weeks ago, one of the most extraordinary things happened, which has completely revolutionized the whole of my Christian life. Up to that time, I was one of your ordinary Christians, but we had a man of God on board, and his name was George Mueller. I had been on the bridge for 22 hours when I was startled by someone tapping me on the shoulder, and it was George Mueller. Captain, he said, I've come to tell you that I must be in Quebec on Saturday afternoon, and it was now Wednesday. It is impossible, I said. Well, very well. If your ship can't take me, God will find some other means to get me where he has called me to go. And the captain said, I would willingly help you, but how can I? I am helpless. And George Mueller responded, well, let us go down to the chart room and let us pray. And the captain says, I looked at the man of God and I thought to myself, what lunatic asylum could this man have come from? I never heard such a thing. Mr. Mueller, I said, do you not know how dense the fog is? And it was the fog that was delaying uh, the, the travels. And Mr. Mueller, he says this, no, he replied, my eye is not on the density of the fog, but on the living God who controls every circumstance of my life. And so he got down on his knees and he prayed one of the most simple prayers, a prayer that would suit a children's class where the children were not more than eight or nine years old. And the burden of his prayer was something like this, O oh Lord, if it is consistent with thy will, please remove this fog in five minutes. You know the engagement you made for me in Quebec on Saturday, and I believe it is your will for me to be there. And when he finished, I was going to pray, but he put his hand on my shoulder and told me not to pray. First, you do not believe he will. Second, I believe he has. Therefore, there is no need for you to pray about it. <laughs> Mueller said, Captain, I have known my Lord for 47 years. There's never been a single day that I have failed to gain an audience with the king. So get up, Captain, and open the door, and you will find that the fog is gone. What do you think happened? I got up, and the fog was gone. And he goes on to reflect... You tell that to some people of a scientific turn of mind, and they will say, well, that is not according to natural laws. Well, no, it is according to spiritual laws. Our God is omnipotent. Hold on to God's omnipotence. Ask believingly. And by the way, on Saturday afternoon, he made it there on time. So what I love about George, if you've never read anything by him, uh, it's amazing, the stories, because that's like a normal, everyday occurrence for this man. And it's not because he's like some special freak. He's a man who believed, and he prayed in accordance with the sovereignty of God. And what I love is, when he prayed, he prayed with absolute confidence in the sovereign and power of God. And he says, first, you do not believe he will, and second, I believe he has. There's no need for you to pray, because God's already answered. I love that his eyes were not on the fog, but on the God who was greater than the fog. And he says, my eye is not on the density of the fog, but on the living God who controls every circumstance of my life. He knew that prayer was what God wanted him to do most. And guess what? That's what he did. And he said, Captain, I have known my Lord for 47 years, and there's never been a single day that I failed to gain an audience with the king. What I love most about this story is not the, uh, that the fog was lifted. That's pretty amazing. 
But that's not what actually encourages me and inspires me the most. What I love more than anything in this one story, and there's so many from this man, was the testimony from the one who witnessed the prayers of George. And his name was Captain Joseph E. Dalton, who later became known as Holy Joe. And this is what he said in the story. One of the most extraordinary things happened, which has completely revolutionized the whole of my Christian life. You may have not have caught that at the very beginning of the story, but before he was telling Mr. Ingalls, he said, listen, I'm going to tell you something that absolutely, completely revolutionized the whole of my Christian life, and I am convinced that one of the reasons that God has us in the season of prayer is because he wants to use you to revolutionize people's lives. He wants to use you and the prayers that we're praying in accordance with his promises, in accordance with his glory, and in accordance with his sovereignty. He wants to use you and I to be men and women who are revolutionizing the world around us. Three men. We look at them as freaks. Who prays and asks God for the sun to stand still? Who prays and asks for fire to come down so that men and women would believe? And who on earth prays in five minutes that the fog would be lifted? Well, Joshua, Elijah, and George. But I think in God's economy, they weren't freaks. They were just normal men. Normal men who believed in the promises of God, who believed in the mission and glory of God, and in accordance with the sovereignty of God. Father, my prayer this morning for me and for all of us, Jesus, is simply this, that we would be men and women who would begin praying prayers that are consistent with the promises that you have made to us. God, I pray that our prayers would reflect the thousands upon thousands of promises that you have made to us. God, I pray that my prayers and all of our prayers would reflect, God, that you are a God who wants the world to know you. And God, I pray that our prayers would reflect a belief, a conviction, the truth that we know that you are all sovereign, that you are all powerful, God, that you can do anything and everything. God, I pray that moving forward, there would be not one prayer that we would say, no, God can't do that. God, I pray that if in the world's eyes we pray like freaks, I pray we'd be okay with that. God, I pray you would teach us. I pray that you would inspire us to not stop asking God, that we would be men and women who are just persistent in crying out to you and calling out to you. God, thank you for what I will call three ordinary men who prayed to an extraordinary God and have story after story after story of watching an extraordinary God do extraordinary things. God, I pray, especially in this next 14 days of prayer, God, I pray for every single person that's here right now that they would have at least one story. One story, Jesus, of the impossible becoming possible because they brought an unorthodox, outrageous prayer to a God who can do anything and everything. 
God, would you please just continue, but in increasing ways, move in mighty ways. God, I pray as we consider our own prayers that they would inspire us and inspire those around us, especially folks who don't believe in God, that they would know and hear how we pray and declare, you really think God can do that? This morning before uh, or after, whenever you want to do it, we put more cards on your chair. And my challenge and encouragement to you this morning is simply this. Put two prayers down at least that freak you out. Two prayers that just you gave up on a long time ago. That you just think is just too possible. Prayers that just scare the heck out of you. Put them down. And I promise you this, there will be a community of men and women who will be here in the mornings and the evening praying that God would freak you out with how he can answer your prayers. I'm convinced that he wants you to have stories that he is a prayer answering God. As we celebrate communion, I wanted to invite you, if you're a Christian, to write your prayer down, celebrate communion, and put it up in one of the prayer frames, one of those three prayer frames. And if you're not a Christian, my invitation to you this morning is you this morning might be an answer to someone's prayer who's been praying for you for months or years that you would come to know God. And so I want to invite you this morning to respond to God by placing your faith in Him and beginning a relationship with Him. Because there's only one way we have right relationship with God, and it's through Jesus. It's not through working really hard and being all pious and religious and righteous. It's no, I'm a sinner and God loves me. He's been gracious to me and he made a way for me to know him. And I will receive and respond to Jesus. We've got some men and women who would love to pray with you, uh, to pray your prayers that might be freaking you out. Let them pray with you. If you have questions how to respond and how to begin that relationship, come talk with them. Come talk with me. Come talk with the person who brought you here. But I want you to know Jesus knows you, he loves you, and he wants you to experience who he is.